Good morning. It is seven minutes after 10 o'clock. It is Think Tank Thursday, and at this time every week, it is Show Me Institute time. And I'm pleased to tell you the incredibly talented Brenda Talent is with us. She is the CEO at the Show Me Institute. Uh, response to the state of the state address by the governor. Also, and I, it, I didn't uh, uh, run this past her in advance, but... Um, Apparently, uh, there's a story that St. Louis schools lost $260 million uh, to economic development subsidies. Uh, and, and we'll kind of kick that around, see if she's got uh, any commentary on that. So, uh, without further ado, whatever that is, uh, let's bring in Brenda Talent. Brenda, welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Gary. So, the state of the state... Uh, you know, I I think the state is in is in trouble, uh, but at least in the long run, uh, well, fire away. What did you think? Well, I was going to say, you don't agree with all the back padding that uh, the governor engaged in yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary. Okay, so where where do I start? All right. Uh, we got a proposal for a fifty two point seven. Let's just call it fifty three billion dollar budget. We've talked about this before. 2019, our budget for the state, um, including federal dollars, was around $36 billion. So it's grown for, you know, almost 45% in these years. And um, what do we got for it? I mean, we're supposed to be thankful that the governor is not spending, quote-unquote, all the surplus. Well, I recall newspaper stories last year talking about how we had, like, a $7 billion. It went down to $5 billion. Now he's talking about he's going to be very generous and make sure that we have a $1.5 billion surplus. But you know what, Gary? That's not going to last very long because if you go through the rest of his speech, you're going to find out not only last year he instituted a number of programs that are going to require ongoing funding, but he wants to create more ongoing obligations for the citizens of the state. Um, and, you know, he, he will be liked because he's increasing money for, for different groups of special interests. Uh, and he'll be out of office when the rest of us have to figure out how to continue to meet those obligations. Um, I do think he deserves a pat on the back for processing the clemency request, although, of course, you want to dig into the substance of that, but at least he got that done. Um, you know, I'm happy about transportation, but even with that, as we go through all of the discussion, my question is, where's the accountability? Where are the performance metrics? How are we going to judge whether people are successful or not? So we judge his success with the courts because he put more women on the Missouri Supreme Court. I, I'm a woman, but I don't judge success by that me measure. I ask, what are the qualifications of the individual? Um, and then we see some back padding for, you know, I started choice in the state, but you provided no leadership. You signed the bill, but people have been clamoring for more school choice options, and you've done nothing. And by the way, you've been presiding over a general assembly, which is incredibly dysfunctional, at least on the Senate side. And I would say good leadership in our state would get involved in that to try to resolve those kind of differences and pave the way for how people actually should work and respect one another. I mean, that's what true statesmen do. So uh, overall, you liked it, huh? <laughs> Gosh, Gary, I'm so enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there are some, some problems in our future. That the government expanded at the rate that it did in the last four years is positively terrifying because it's going to continue to expand. Uh, it just well, never... The pr problem is it can't... I mean, Gary, well, it can if they get money out of our pockets. 
Yeah, which of course means we have less money for our retirement, less money to feed our families. Uh, it, it's just, it's an endless cycle. There is a story, and I'm throwing this out at you, and you you probably haven't even heard it, but it's something that really struck a chord for me. It's a Reason magazine. It says, according to a report from Good Jobs First, St. Louis Public Schools took the brunt of a loss uh, at nearly 65% of the total. Apparently, they lost some $260 million because of economic subsidies, development okay. subsidies. Governments love to give out taxpayer money in private companies or to private companies uh, in an attempt to spur economic development. But what about the state and local agencies that miss out on that revenue? And this has been something that bothers me because uh, these companies, they don't, they don't pay these taxes, so I have to. Uh, and, That's right. And everybody is suffering here. Well, that's right. And we can you know, just look at the governor's proposed budget with the amount of money he wants to send to schools because municipalities, through the state statutes, have been able to offer these tax subsidies where they freeze property taxes, which are often the principal source of income for our school districts. And because they're able to freeze them, then the, st- the schools lose out. But they hope that the municipalities hope to gain through sales tax revenue. That's the game that's played. And, um, you know, we've talked about the fact that, at a minimum, we should carve out school districts from these kind of tax subsidies. We've done that for first responders, uh, but we haven't done it for school districts. So, you know, um, we talk about St. Louis Public Schools. Over the years, they have lost that amount because the city, trying desperately to attract businesses to its declining population has given out, you know, bennies right and left. And of course, the school district is the one that suffers. But in the area that I live, Chesterfield, which is a, a, a suburb, we're doing the same thing where we're, we're giving millions of, of dollars to developers to, you know, increase their bottom line while we're depriving the, the school districts. And we're doing it in connection where we know that residential properties are going to be built. So there are going to be more children coming into the school district. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's an easy reform for our state to do, but they haven't. I mean, our state has been rather um, having a love affair with tax subsidies, and we saw it last year where they reinstated film tax credits, which (laughs) we all know fail. I mean, the data is pretty clear on that, but we continue to do that, and we heard the governor talking about expanding uh, child care credit, um, which, again, is government getting involved in activities that the market can address. And we don't need to get, have government getting involved in these these kind of decision makings. Uh, the government account uh, the government accounting standards board is a private independent organization that quote establishes accounting and financial reporting standards for U.S. state and local governments. One such recommendation issued by this organization, statement number seventy seven, quote requires state and local governments to disclose key information about their tax abatement agreements in which state and local governments agree to reduce an individual person's or company's taxes, typically in exchange for some sort of economic development projects or project. Uh, and it's, it's hurting. Uh, it's hurting everybody. There's just, this is just, this has, this has got to stop. Um, it really does. It's government picking winners and losers. And, um, the average taxpayer, that would be us. We're the losers, Gary. Well, the, the government is very good at picking losers. 
Uh, they do it all the time. Uh, we throw all kinds of money at them. They make all kinds of promises, and then they file bankruptcy and they disappear. Uh, it, it, it's uh, it's not. I was just talking about this in the last segment of the program, uh, Brenda, and I said that when a company uh, goes uh, to to expand or build, they look for investors, and if the if the investors see a, a a lane where they can make profit, they'll invest. If they don't, then these people go to the government. And, That's right. And, and it just, it has to end. It just does. Well, Brent. and I just want to add one other thing, Gary, because this is important for everyone to focus on. The money that we're spending here in Missouri, a lot of it is still federal money. That federal money is shrinking. And so when, I, when, when you and I talk about the fact that we're going to be the ones left with these bills, we are the ones that are going to be left with the bills because the federal government isn't going to have the money to continue to subsidize the state of Missouri for making these kind of decisions. And I'll just say one other thing, which you and I have talked about in the past. There were decisions that our government could have made that would better place us for the future to make us more competitive. And those would have been long-term investments, not throwing money at different special interest groups. Um, and unfortunately, we've, um, we've just wasted time and we've wasted these resources. And it was actually a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for our state to take advantage of making some real investments in the future of our state, and we just didn't do it. You know, they could have gotten rid of the uh, personal property tax uh, and supplanted it with the money that they gave to these companies. <laughs> uh, really, it, it, they just, it, uh, I don't understand how politicians uh, think. But I do understand how they think at the Show Me Institute, and they think pretty clearly. Uh, so uh, go to their website. Have you uh, written a response to the, to the uh, state of the state? No, but I think one of our analysts is working on it. I know that um, our director of education is putting together th items on education because, of course, um, when you talk about workforce development, uh, our governor and our state has failed in that because the primary source for workforce development is K-12, through and we've been going in the wrong direction in that, those areas. All right. Uh, Brenda Talent, thank you for being with us. Always appreciate having you on board. Thank you for having me, Gary. Take care. All right. Take care. All right, Brenda Town. Now, coming up at uh, 1035, Ron Calzone is going to be on board. You remember the kerfuffle on the Senate floor uh, with uh, Senator Eigel et al.? Well, he's got an update on that. So you'll want to stay tuned. It's the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. 21 minutes after 10 o'clock. Glad to have you with us on a Think Tank Thursday uh, you know, I always, every Tuesday we have the Epic Times on the program. We could probably have them on every day. They are an amazing news organization. Uh, if if you're not subscribing to them, you should. I get updates from them two, three times a day uh, when there's breaking news. Uh, I don't get that from anybody else, not the way they do it. And they just broke another story. Uh, and this, is, this will really frost your buns. It should be doing this tomorrow. Apparently... The CDC was aware that the COVID vaccines caused myocarditis. They knew it was a problem. And they, they thought about sending out an alert. In fact, they went to all the time and trouble to draft the alert about the heart inflammation and myocarditis uh, for the, uh, the BioNTech and Moderna vaccines. They were about to release it. In fact, they took steps uh, to have the agency's director review the language. And then they decided 
no, nah, we're not going to send this out. You know, we're not going to do this. Because uh, we don't want to cause a panic. What? You knew this was a problem? You clearly must have known it would kill some people, especially with no warning. You know, you don't, you don't know what to look for. But you didn't want to cause panic? That is the sorriest excuse (laughs) I have ever heard for not warning people about the dangers of a pharmaceutical. And it's the government that did this to you. The government did this to you. The Epic Times apparently uh, exclusively got uh, their hands on uh, an email uh, where they uh, were talking about this. The CDC's apparent decision to not immediately issue a formal alert to clinicians warning them about the increased risk of myocarditis and uh, pericarditis in vaccinated individuals is not only inexcusable, it's malpractice. Ron Johnson, Republican from Wisconsin, Senator. Yeah, it's malpractice. They knew it would get... It was, it, uh, I mean, many, that's uh, criminal. How many times in one program can you be so baffled at the uh, behavior of others? Uh, this is this is just insane. Uh, you you might not have known this if it weren't for the Epic Times. Uh, I don't know. They they got it out pretty soon, pretty early on. Wow. Hey, this might kill people. Yeah, but shh, we don't want to cause a panic. Yeah, we, no. Shh, yeah. Shh. That that just upset the apple cart. We we can't have that. Uh, A Democrat in California has decided that if you're going to buy a new car in California in the future, it should be equipped with a governor. Uh, Not like the governor uh, of the state, because that would be harmless. It wouldn't work. This, no, is a a device you can put on a vehicle that limits its speed. And this Democrat wants to do this so that you can't go more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. Now, that's a pretty expensive technology to add to the price of a car. If you're, you know, poor, middle class and struggling to buy a new car right now, just think what that extra technology will do. And, and it's, it's kind of out there. My, my car will look at speed limit signs on the side of the road and project it on the dashboard. So apparently they can, technically, they can do this. But it's going to cause... More accidents. See, here's the thing. If, if something happens and you've got to scoot, you've got to go fast to, uh, to get out of the way, you won't be able to because your car will be limited to 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. So, once again, a Democrat is taking away choice. Well, they have to. Because? You're, you're too stupid. stupid. Yeah, you... You can't decide that you have to really put your foot in it to uh, get out of the way. No. Only yeah. government can make that decision for you. Yes, a one-size-fits-all uh-huh. speed limit governor. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's just the insanity. A California Democrat introduced the bill this week that would require automakers in the state to equip new vehicles with speed governors, devices that restrict how fast people can drive. The technology, if passed under the legislation, would prevent California drivers from going 10 miles an hour or more over the posted speed limit in any given area. 
Uh, it would mandate that cars and trucks for the 2027 model year and later that are manufactured or sold in California be installed with speed governors. Right. That makes perfect sense. He knows that 10 miles an hour over is what will save lives. <sighs> Plus, it's probably better for the climate, too, now that you mention it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that um, if the auto manufacturers, in order to sell vehicles in California, have to do this, they'll have to do it to all the cars. They won't just do it to some. It'd be ridiculous. They, oh, it's going to California, so do this to that group of cars. But I still think you and I had the best idea last year when they started their prohibition of battery-powered, you know, of internal combustion cars, that we get right on the Nevada border, (laughs) just outside California, and sell cars with internal combustion engines and cars without governors and and, 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 and appliances, too. Yeah. Because they they regulate gas stoves and everything. Dishwashers and... We could make a fortune. Yes. And then somebody would come in and buy us out. We could retire and, and be rich. And, and not have to pay California taxes, which I really like, because we'd be, frankly, out of the, uh, out of the state. All right, uh, 874-9390, toll-free, 800-529-5572. Let me tell you what's coming up at 11.05. Uh, Mike Murphy is going to be in, and uh, Mike is the editor of Como Buzz, that's with one Z, ComoBuzz.com. And uh, he is going to talk about it, the ethics complaint. We, we chatted about it yesterday uh, with the gentleman that, uh, that filed it. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll kick that around with him. Uh, the related uh, recall of the of, uh, first ward uh, councilman, uh, Nick uh, Noth. Um, uh, uh, there are a couple of other things that are on his list, too, um, that we'll follow up on, including the uh, fire and police pension fund, uh, the voluntary action center uh, groundbreaking. Uh, Boone County Hospital says its finances are improving. We'll chat with him about that as well. So uh, we got a lot coming up at 11 o'clock. And coming up in the next segment, we'll talk about uh, Senator Eigel. I have to tell you, I side with Eigel on this. I think it's uh, it's time that the Republicans in Jeff City get off their arses and actually get something accomplished. And that would include, I would think you would have to start with IP reform. Initiative, initiative petition reform. Because if you do anything really conservative, Democrats will go right into Kansas City and St. Louis, and spend a few bucks there, and just wipe it out. They've already demonstrated the ability to do that. They, they did it with Medicaid expansion. Um, they're doing it now with abortion. Uh, it, it, it's... Address this first so that the back door is closed. But apparently the legislature is unwilling to do that. Caleb Rowden is starting to, well, punish these people for their outspoken belief in freedom. Gary Nolan shows Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. 
1035. All right, I'm confused now, Brian, because uh, people are sending me <laughs> these messages. Um, all right, let me just... Uh, let me, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there is something that may be embargoed. Maybe it's not. We don't know. Um, but uh, I just got a copy of uh, something that might be embargoed, but we don't know. All right. Uh, I'm just going to jump in here and uh, bring in Ron Calzone, a.k.a. Calzone. Uh, Ron, of course, uh, MoFirst.org on the World Wide Web. So I assume that you were watching uh, rather carefully what unfolded in the Senate uh, when uh, Senator Bill Eigel pushed for uh, reform of uh, the initiative petition process. Uh, what did you think of the exchange? Oh, well, it, there wasn't the exchange. There have been a lot of exchanges, and there's been, you know, there was, there was, has been things happening in public. There have been happening, things happening behind closed doors, um, things happening in the halls, in front of closed doors. And so it's, it's a very complex situation. Uh, you know, in a nutshell, my estimation of it is, is that there's some very serious problems on both sides of this issue. So you've got the, the Freedom Caucus that's made up of uh, some of the people that I think are have their heads screwed on straightest in uh, the Senate. And then you have uh, some people that are, you know, you Republicans that you wonder why they call themselves Republicans. And then there's a bunch of people in the middle. And I think there's a bunch of people that uh, have good intentions, and I think there's some people with selfish intentions and personal ambitions, and you know, but that's politics. You know, I just described every political scenario that has ever existed. <laughs> you know, but I, my my estimation with respect to uh, what you called the kerfluffle is that we have a breakdown in communication that is uh, apparent from both sides. And how much should you expect um, the the Freedom Caucus to go to leadership? And, and have dialogue with them before they go to the floor and they, and they do some pretty extraordinary things, when in the past, leadership has been pretty unresponsive. Uh, in the past, it's been kind of futile, and they get strung along, and then we end up with a bunch of garbage pills. Uh, well, the thing is, is it's not exactly the same leadership. You know, it's the same leadership team that you had last year, and Caleb Browden was in leadership the year before that, but uh, Cindy Laughlin is, uh, you know, she was the floor leader last year, but, you know, this is her first, her second, start of her second year as floor leader, and I'm not sure that she's been given as much opportunity as she should be given. Uh, bottom line is, is what I'm seeing is from both sides of the issue, a lot of, uh, frankly, childish behavior and misuse of power, although, you know, the Freedom Caucus doesn't have any more power than the other senator, but I think uh, obviously the uh, president pro tem of the Senate has a lot of power, and he wielded that power this week. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But well, it's, let me it's all, let me talk. It's all very disappointing. You know, I do want to say this before we go any further. If you watch all of this unfold, and you watch the pettiness, and you watch the abuse of power, the first thing you need to think about is that these are the people that we have entrusted with the power to pass laws that affect our lives and liberty. And that should be very disconcerting. The uh, the IP reform, which I think you and I both agree needs to happen, right? 
Well, you know, I'm, I am modifying my opinion about that. It does need to happen, but the question is when does it need to happen? Well, here, so, let, me, let me interject here. Uh, my, my statement was that we both agree it needs to happen. But if the Republicans actually acted like Republicans are supposed to act, and they, for instance, say, uh, we're not going to expand uh, Medicaid. And then the left comes in, throw a bunch of money at St. Louis and Kansas City and undo it. You realize then that nothing they accomplish can't be undone without IP reform. If you get IP reform, then it's not so easy to undo. So before they do anything that is truly Republican or truly conservative, you want to close the back door. You want to make sure that it doesn't get undone because IP reform hasn't been accomplished. So shouldn't that be one of the first things they do? Well, I think you're alluding to the fact that there, you know, there's different forms of, quote, IP reform. And, you know, you could do something. You, you've absolutely correctly identified the problem with what I think is uh, appropriately labeled tyranny of the majority. When you have just a couple of urban areas that can really run the, the whole process in terms of ballot measures, that's a problem. But if, you, if your idea for IP reform is to simply raise the ratification threshold to 60%, and that means that the urban areas only need, you know, frankly, to include Columbia, only need a 40% vote to stop anything that you might do to fix problems in the Constitution. I think what Bill Eigel was saying uh, was that uh, you have to go to every district, get 51%. Yeah, he's, so, he's, so, yeah, he's, his latest SJR, his bill, latest bill, you know, term used generically, is calling for concurrent majority ratification using state house districts as the second metric. So as we've discussed, you'd have to get a statewide majority vote, plus you'd have to get a majority vote by voters in each of more than half of the state house districts. And he is absolutely correct. That is the right way to do this. You know, this, the other idea is to use congressional districts instead of state house districts, you know, which doesn't solve the problem as well. But this is the thing, Gary. There's been so much bickering, there's been so much fighting, there's been so much wielding of, of the hammers in the Senate that almost nobody, and I'm telling you because I'm talking to these people, I'm in the halls, I'm in the offices, uh, almost nobody has given really serious consideration to what, quote, IP reform should look like. And so if finally the logjam is opened and, every, and people rush into a solution, I'm afraid it's going to be the wrong solution. And then, then this is the other factor. You know, you know, and I've been pushing for this harder than anybody. There might be one or two elected officials, le legislators that have been working as hard as me, but um, you have to consider this. this on, in this year, more than likely, abortion is going to be on the ballot. And, and, quote, IP reform, which really should be called ratification reform. That's what needs to be fixed, right? Not, not the IP process, but the ratification process. But ratification reform is going to get uh, caught in the shuffle over the battle over an abortion measure on the ballot. So in Ohio, when they tried to do something about, quote, IP reform, there was $22 million spent on each side saying, yes, do raise the threshold to 60 percent or no, do not raise the threshold to 60 percent. And it was, an, it was an emotional battle and it was based solely on the fact that they were going to have abortion on the ballot in November. So they considered the 60% the threshold increase in August, and then the abortion was in November. 
you know, and so you have to ask the question, uh, you know, if you're in favor of raising the threshold for amending the Constitution, is there going to be money behind it when it goes on the ballot? Because of the, the pro-abortion people will put money behind it. So all of this needed to have been done earlier in the session. It really should have been two years ago when Bill Kidd came up with this idea. Representative Bill Kidd was the first one to file a, a resolution to do concurrent majority ratification, but Dean Parker wouldn't let it happen, the Speaker of the House, the current Speaker of the House. You know, so um, Caleb Rowden should have referred, quote, IP reform to committee the very first thing at the beginning of session. And, and it wasn't done, you know, and I think that Bill Eigel and company were right to make a big deal about it, but I don't think, I don't, to my knowledge, they never went to, to Caleb themselves and had a discussion. You know, they, it all blew out, you know, blew up on the floor instead. And so I think there's a, I think there's fault on both sides. Um, the, the very first, you know, the buck stops with Caleb Rowden. However, he should have not needed anybody to tell him that you need to refer this and take it to the floor right away. You know, but what beats all is this week, uh, even though you've got senators that are using the tools that are available to senators as part of the process, as part of the rules, uh, he, he, took, he used what I call the thermonuclear option, and he removed four conservative senators from the chairmanships of their committees or from committees. And, you know, ostensibly that's, that's, that's punishment because, um, well, maybe more tactical because he's afraid that these senators in their positions as committee chairs will hold things up. But then he then he took their their preferred parking places away from them. You know, so some of those senators were senior senators. They get to park in the garage in the building. You know, some, the premier parking places, and and he reassigned their parking places as far away from the building as he could. You know, that's just petty. It is puerile. It is petty. Uh, look, I know Rick Rowden, um, uh, and I personally like Rick. I, I Caleb, really do. Caleb. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Caleb. Right. I don't know why I said Rick. I, and I do, too. He's a, he's a likable guy. And, you know, I don't know if he's being used or gamed or threatened or what it might be. But, um, you know, the bottom line is, is that there's it's like it's just like any war. You know, usually it's a cascading of events and, and there's nobody deescalating. Instead, everybody just piles on and they let emotions and they let, you know, pettiness and personal ambition get in the way. And, you know, that's that's been true on both sides. There's name calling on both sides. I mean, just I mean, I'm talking about junior high stuff and on the floor. And so it's not um, it's this is not just me reporting it. You can go on the Senate website. You can look at the audio archives and listen to it yourself. And both sides are calling names. And it's just it's just um, there's there seems not to be any adult in the room. Well, I think it it really needs to be leadership that that. Um demonstrates just that, leadership. And I don't think taking away their parking spaces and their chairmanships is demonstrating leadership. I think they ought to get together, have a conversation, hey, look, uh, everybody's out of hand here, let's fix it, let's, we're, you have your parking spaces, here's the, you know, here's the way the order should go. Uh, and I think they could make some progress. Ultimately, though, Gary, what needs to happen is there needs to be a change in the fundamental rules of the way the House and the Senate are run. It's just a problem when you give one or two people as much power as the Speaker or the pro tem and the floor leaders of the House and the Senate have. And, you know, it's not that hard to do. You can, you can come up with a process that is more 
uh, objective and less subjective about how legislation flows. And you can make sure it's the will of the body and not just, you know, one person who's making the decision, decisions. And the thing is, is that when one person decides what legislation flows when, uh, there's going to be a bunch of people that are upset because it wasn't their piece of legislation. And, you know, but if, if for instance, uh, the whole body got to decide which legislation got priority and the speaker and the floor leader or the pro tem and the floor leader on the Senate side are just simply umpires calling balls and strikes objectively, you know, then I think you would see less of this sort of thing going on. Well, uh, we'll just have to watch and see how it unfolds. But somehow leadership needs to take the reins and quit being childish about this and punishing. Uh, that's that's not the way. That's just not the way to lead. That's true. But every but every senator, including including my good friend Bill Eigel, needs to also make sure that they're not part of the problem. You know. So it's just, uh, um, you know, and it's, and it's and it's not just Bill. You know, it's the whole. My best friends in the Senate are members of the Freedom Caucus. You know, and I and I, I think that they. They have the, the best policy on their side, and I think that they are, uh, you know, I think they're a very important. I think they're also that, very frustrated. They, they are, you know, but, you know, the fact is, is that at some point you have to hit reset, and you have to say this is a new year, and we're not going to judge, or we're not going to operate based on what's happened in the past. That doesn't mean that you're as long-suffering as you were, were in the past, but, you know, there's some simple things that everybody agrees on. You know, so, for instance... Early in the session, everybody recognized after the Boyd decision by the Missouri Supreme Court that they needed to do something about the single-subject bills, That's something else we've talked about before. And it would not be very hard to get get everybody to agree on a rule that made sure that their bills were single-subject. But that's gotten lost in all of this argument and in the personalities, and uh, that's the sort of thing that I think could be done, and it would re- resolve a all lot right. of these I'm up, I'm up against the clock. I have to run. Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org. Thank you for being with us. Quick break. Gary Nolan shows Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 10.54, and it's Think Tank Thursday. Coming up, uh, we are going to have uh, Mike Murphy on ComoBuzz.com. Uh, a couple of topics coming up, including this uh, uh, alleged campaigning uh, from the city council meeting. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the complaint that was filed and a few other topics. But I, I've got to do this, um, and I, it just popped up on a news feed. Um, and I'm, I'm going to qualify this. A couple of months ago, I told you that uh, I could hear the, the blood rushing in my ear. I could hear my heart bump uh, beating. Uh, and it correlated with activity. The more I moved, the, the louder, the more, you know, the faster the, the heartbeat sound. So I went to uh, a cardiologist and they did some tests. Uh, and initially they thought I had a heart attack at some point. Uh, so they went through all these tests and, and I've got to go for some more. But it turns out, I did not have a heart attack. But they said, uh, you know, until we get the rest of these tests done, uh, take a baby aspirin. And uh, then they called in a prescription for me uh, to uh, lower cholesterol, a statin is, is what they prescribed. So I did some homework and I saw some very impressive uh, material telling me, that, warning me not to take the statins. So, apparently, uh, there's a new study just released. It's up at uh, Citizen Free Press. I think that's where I saw it. Oreo cookies. Or, you know, the the cream-filled 
cookies, lower LDL cholesterol more than statins. I was stunned. Um, they, uh, they did a study, and it, despite knowing cholesterol's vital role in being alive, because if you didn't have cholesterol, you wouldn't be alive. It would kill you. would die. The belief that LDL cholesterol causes atherosclerosis, uh, uh, followed by coronary heart disease, is a fundamental principle of modern medicine, solely based on biased studies. Indeed, for the last 40 years, the mainstream medical establishment has asserted that elevated serum cholesterol levels are direct instigator of CHD and that statins are essential to controlling cholesterol levels. They make this declaration as if there were no other choices or healthier alternatives. And I guess this new study shows that it's, it's all wrong. You remember I told you I was on the Atkins diet for years. I was uh, 310 pounds, dropped down to 245, uh, eating largely ground beef and cheese and a little lettuce. Uh, and that uh, when I had my cholesterol checked, it was, it was fine. Everybody, uh, the doctor thought it was great. This, uh, this new study uh, seems to support uh, Bob Atkins. Uh, it, it's, if you're taking a statin, you might want to look into this. Uh, go to Citizen Free Press. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you what not to do. I am not a doctor. I'm just telling you that the breaking news is the jig is up. This is from the high wire. The jig is up. Toxic Oreos, lower LDL cholesterol, more than statins. And then they, they talk about the studies and, and the implications of it. So if you're taking statin, and there are some side effects to taking statins. One of them is it affects your memory. Uh, but there are other uh, problems that that uh, develop as a result of it. Uh, it. More than just memory loss, diabetes. Um, do some uh, do some homework if you or someone you love is on them, and make up your own mind. I'm not I'm not a doctor. I'm not telling you yes or no. Uh, I'm just telling you this is the latest information, and it seems to make sense. And when I looked into it, I, I literally uh, thought there's something wrong with this, 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 this whole thing. I'm, I'm starting to think that Bob Adkins was 100% right. And there was a, another book about eating meat that said eating red meat is not bad for you. Just saying. All right. Mike Murphy next on The Gary Nolan Show. This is The Gary Nolan Show.